my Govanin and say light to all my elf friends. I'm Tani Chinuvio. You're listening to QCI in Irvine, 88.9 FM, broadcasting from the University of California at Irvine. And that amazing music you're hearing is, yes, the Academy Award-winning soundtrack from Fellowship of the Ring by Howard Shore. And welcome. This is What Would Arwen Do? here every Tuesday from 4 to 5 p.m. Although I do have to say, the Elf will be taking a small break for the summer quarter. Want to do some things like get the blog going and learn how to tweet and <laughs> all of those things. You, If you've been listening for a while, you know I'm a little bit of the technology-challenged Elf, but I refuse to give up. So for the summer, there'll be some other programming here, but hopefully we'll be back in this time slot in the fall. And in just two weeks, uh, in case you tune in to KUCI and you don't find any of your other regular programs, um, please check other time slots or check back in the fall just in case because it is summertime and this is a college university. and. Um, so people go away sometimes for the summer. We also stream live 24 hours a day, seven days a week at KUCI.org. And you can catch us through iTunes. You can email me at askanelf at yahoo.com. Askanelf at yahoo.com. I would love to hear from you. Podcasts of the show are available on our website at KUCI.org. And you can also find podcasts through iTunes. Just search for Arwen, A-R-W-E-N. In case you may be tuning in for the very first time and wondering what this show is all about, well, this is where we kind of celebrate all things Middle Earth and all things Tolkien. Having been in a wonderful adventure with J.R.R. Tolkien and The Lord of the Rings starting in March of 2002, so my over 10 years now of my grand, which started out as an experiment and turned into an adventure of my life as an elf. And it's amazing how, if one chooses the right type of mentor or archetype, how one's life can be transformed on so many levels. So on this show, we celebrate things that elves are interested in, uh, art, music, health, celebrating each other, supporting our communities, and preserving the earth and its beauty and resources and creatures. So when things come up in life, I often like to ask, well, what would an elf do? Or what would Arwen do? And sometimes I get some really interesting answers. So today we're going to be talking um, in the area of health. And I'm very excited because I have a very special guest who I did um, announced last week, so in case you tuned in last week, maybe you've had a chance to do a little bit of research on it. We're going to get right into our interview today because we only have an hour and we want to have a little bit of music mixed in once in a while. But my very special guest is Karen Bauman. She is the owner and founder of Release in Motion. She is a pain relief therapist. In case you want to check out the website, even while we're talking, you can find the website at www.releaseinmotion.com and that's R-E-L-E-A-S-E-I-N-M-O-T-I-O-N. 
releaseinmotion.com, releaseinmotion.com. So, Karen, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Tani, for having me. I'm very excited because, well, we've actually known each other for a few years, and you, I believe you were on, it's about two or three years ago, mm-hmm. uh, with Jana, mm-hmm. and I think at that time we were talking about myofascial release, and so you're involved in all types of wonderful modalities for helping people uh, return to healing. Uh, you're also a massage therapist, isn't mm-hmm. that right? Correct. Yeah. And before we jump into the topic of somatic experiencing, just in case people are kind of wondering where they might be able to find you, of course they can reach you through your website at releaseinmotion.com, mm-hmm. right? Um, do you have a contact information or is that the best way for them to contact you? They can also get a hold of me at karen at releaseinmotion.com or the office phone number is 949 949- Five four eight four nine zero zero, and that's Karen K A R E N, correct? And but aren't you also um, some places locally? Aren't, um, aren't you at a, a, a fitness center right now? Do people need? To, would they have to go through your website to find out about that, or can you say? Well, the best way to get a hold of me is uh, through my private practice, where okay. I am there, you know, three days a week, all day. Um, I do work at another location, but that's the best way to, especially for the kind of work that we're going to be talking about here on the show, the somatic experiencing work that's most suited, um, within my private office. Oh, great. So what we're talking about today is something called somatic experiencing, Mm -hmm. which to me is just the sound of it is pretty like, wow, what's that? And Elf wants to know about what that is. Um, could you tell our listeners what somatic experiencing is where did it come from well basically just to start out it 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 is based it is a natural way of working with trauma so everything that we're going to be talking about today is how to work with uh, trauma and when we talk about trauma we're people are commonly familiar with post-traumatic stress disorder we like to call it post-traumatic stress injury as opposed Mm. to disorder because disorder gives the sense that it's permanent it's an illness that it's a pathology that it can't be fixed Mm. and um, we absolutely know that that's not the case that there are um, methods processes ways that we can help ourselves work through traumatic symptoms to be able to live happy whole healthy full alive kind of lives and so for people who have experienced trauma that's not their experience. They often feel their lives have been robbed, truncated. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of either anxiety or depression, just ways that they don't get to live their life the same they would have if they had not experienced the trauma. And so what we see is that we all have within us the innate capacities to heal from trauma. This is mm-hmm. not something special. This is not you needing something that you don't already have within you. Um, matter of fact, a lot of it is learning just skills and but learning those skills in a um, uh, with support and in a particular way that allows you to become free of the kind of symptoms that uh, plague people who have gone through traumatic experiences so is it primarily used for uh, psychological trauma or physical trauma or both 
it's used for both. Um, you know, I think it was developed originally for uh, what we call shock trauma. Mm -hmm. Shock trauma is a traumatic event that can happen. Mm -hmm. um, war is obviously a common example or torture, any kind of violence that people have uh, experience perpetrated on themselves, whether it be childhood abuse, domestic abuse, rape, um, kidnapping, kidnapping, like yeah, and that kind of thing. It can also be, say, um, trauma that comes about as a result of natural disasters. So we've had, mm. you know, a recent, you know, looking at the Oklahoma uh, situation, the tornadoes. You know, that's obviously a very traumatic event for the people who were in it and involved. Right. Um, so natural disasters are a common um, type traumatic event, uh, significant physical injuries, falls, major automobile accidents. We're, we're pretty familiar with all of those as being traumatic experiences. Um, there's also though more minor things, things that would be not necessarily traumatic to everybody. Like those, the things I mentioned in terms of war and torture and natural right. disasters, that's gonna be traumatic to anybody who goes through it. Right. But there's other things like a minor car accident, like a little fender bender, especially if it involves whiplash, that can be actually very traumatizing to a person. Um, certain, you know, being immobilized as a child, like if you're casted or splinted, can set the stage for trauma. Mm. Um, basic medical or dental procedures that even if in your rational mind you know is okay, is necessary um, to the body, that mm -hmm. can be traumatizing. And everything we're talking about here is not necessarily a psychological element, it's, it's how the body responds mm -hmm. um, to these kinds of events. Um, any th th that kind of thing that happens to children, all the more so. So children who are subjected mm -hmm. to medical procedures um, very often have traumatic symptoms afterwards. Um, isolation, being left alone, birthing trauma, whether it be for the mother, you know, stress, I should say, for the mother or the child. Mm -hmm. um, those may or may not lead to traumatic symptoms later in life. Um, we do know that in answer to your question about you know, shock trauma versus um, more psychological, we use the word often developmental trauma. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there have been things that have happened early in life that haven't allowed uh, typical bonding uh, mm -hmm. behaviors to happen between the child and the caregiver. That can be things that happen in the womb that can be things that happen in the birthing process or in those first few years of life that in and of itself can set the stage for um, having more traumatic experiences in life. So really somatic experiencing will work with both. Um, we find that if a person has this underlying developmental trauma, when they experience shock trauma later in life, it's all the more difficult to heal mm. from it. So what about things like we hear so much nowadays, and I know about this from my own personal experience, although people didn't really talk about it, but that children are experiencing a lot of bullying in schools, especially like say in the elementary school mm -hmm. um, ages where, you know, they're not really able to defend themselves very well. And a lot of us, have been, you know, come from broken homes, have been moved around, so we were always, like, new in school. And um, I just wasn't an aggressive person, you know, my, for my, you know, just using my own situation. And um, I remember being chased home from school by kids, and I was terrified. I was so frightened. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so, you know, I think a lot of times some of us think that we've worked through that, we've outgrown it. Um, 
and and we've maybe even done some work to it, but then then certain things will come up in life and you'll have this very strong physical reaction and you think, why am I, you know, like something maybe as simple as being in a, car, a parking structure and someone is, you just notice that someone's looking at, a guy is looking at you and walking your way and you, and you kind of instantly get this, you know, flight or fight and there's no necessarily any, no reason that you can think of that you should be responding so quickly strongly. Does that make any sense? Yes, absolutely. So first of all, in response to as a a human compassionate response to your experiences in childhood, I'm sorry that you experienced Mm. that. And um, I know that that can be very difficult. And at the same time, that's probably also been the seeds of a lot of transformation for you and growth and healing and and rebirthing. And the more that we um, process through those experiences on a physiological body level, um, the more alive we can become. And so this process of somatic experiencing can actually be a very spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. And um, you probably have experienced some of that. And yet, as you say, there's still these residuals that are within us. And in somatic experiencing, what we're really working with is our nervous system. Mm. There's the autonomic nervous system. There's um, uh, Stephen Porges has um, presented a, th- a tripart view of this nervous system in terms of, um, he calls it polyvagal theory. And without going into great depth of that at this moment, because it's fairly complicated. Um, what what we, we know about ourselves is our, our bodies are experiencing having these experiences it's not just our mind having these experiences we're not separate mind body beings they're they're really integrated and so when we have these experiences especially when um they're terrifying right they were threatening see we're we're talking about threat here Mm -hmm. and in the face of threat the body physiologically is going to respond it's designed to do that so when you were being chased by bullies what did you do you ran away If you thought you could fight them, you probably would have fought them because our first instinct is to fight. And yet, if that doesn't look like that's going to win, you know, it's four against one or something, then the next option is to run away. If that doesn't work, we've got an alternative method that the body will, you know, deal with, you know, will basically shut down. It's called the freeze response. And we can talk about that more in a little bit. Um, But those are innate biologically driven tendencies that are the exact same as the animal kingdom. Mm. And so um, the difference between us and animals among many is we now can think about that. We Mm -hmm. can remember that event. We can um, uh, project that event onto other events. Um, And we can have these physiological reactions even when there is not necessarily a threat like you just mentioned. Right. All we need is to have a sense of perceived threat. Mm-hmm. And so traumas is not necessarily about always a threat. It can be about a perceived threat. And when there has been a traumatic history, matter of fact, we will have a tendency to perceive threat in more places. Right. Right. So we are because we don't know. Well, we're in a hyper alert. Yeah. The body is still responding as if 24 seven that threat has been still exists because what's been necessary for its healing has not fully completed itself. Mm. And somatic experiences experiencing is about helping the body, the nervous system complete these 
biologically driven behaviors so that they can be basically renegotiated, that they can be resolved, and that the body can return to a state of equilibrium, of balance, of relaxed alertness, mm. right? And so, you know, if, if you're walking outside into a dark parking lot structure, hopefully you're going to be a little bit alert, right? And right. you might have a little <laughs> bit of, of tension, especially if it's, you know, midnight and right. there's nobody else around. And, and if you see a person there coming towards you and, and, you know, they look a little off or something, you're, you're going to feel a certain level of alertness, preparedness, and we've been trained to be prepared that right. this might not be a good situation. There's nothing wrong with that. That's actually healthy, mm-hmm. right? Because then you might notice if the behavior is, you know, threatening and be able to act sooner. Um, but all of a sudden the person gets into their car, turns in the car, drives away, and your body should return back to a state of relaxation. For many of us who have trauma histories, it never does go back to that state of relaxation. Mm. And so we live in that slightly elevated, hyper aroused state. Sometimes it could be hypo aroused, which is the depression and that level. So it, both can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we live in that place, then we're more likely to perceive trauma when it's not there. We're more likely, to, I should say, to perceive threat. So in other words, people whose very innocuous looks or benign looks become, you know, they don't like me, they hate me, they're angry at me. And maybe they're just having a bad day because, you know, they just got a bad message or something. It could be that, or even it could be just a blank, fairly blank look. Right. And we perceive it as a negative threat because we're we're looking for threat wherever we go when we've had unresolved traumatic histories. Wow, that's... Uh... That's pretty amazing. My guest today is Karen Bauman, the owner and founder of Release in Motion. She's a pain relief therapist. You can find more information about her work with somatic experiencing and her other work through her website at www.releaseinmotion.com. You can email her at Karen, K-A-R-E-N, at releaseinmotion.com. And we are talking today about somatic experiencing here on KUCI in Irvine. Karen, um, how long has this modality been around? And um, is it something that only people who, who are aware of severe trauma may need? Or, you know, like what, say for instance, a parent has a, a child and they've had to move around and they, they begin to notice some personality changes in the child or, you know, is this something that a parent might think, you know, this, looking into this type of therapy for the child might be helpful? Could you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. So um, addressing your first question of how long has this been around? Mm-hmm. Somatic experiencing was developed by Peter Levine. He, back in the 1960s, was studying animals and stress response. And um, he noticed animals in the wild were frequently experiencing trauma, um, like animals, other animals trying to eat them and having to run away. Um, And yet they would go through these experiences and if long as they weren't killed and eaten, um, they would come out of them with basically incredible ease and just return to life as normal. They might avoid a certain outcropping of rocks. You know, if a rabbit discovers, oh, that outcropping of rocks, we're likely to see a, you know, a a bobcat or something. They might avoid that 
but as far as feeling like, oh my gosh, I better stay in my hole. Um, yeah, I've got enough carrots down here. I don't need any more carrots. Okay, I'm, I'm you know, they, they don't fear going out and getting food for themselves again. Humans were a little different like that. But um, so Peter Levine, he, he, he noticed this um, at the time. There's some others like um, Bessel van der Kolk was a psychiatrist, is, no, he was at the time a psychiatrist at um, VA hospital working with uh, Vietnam veterans and realizing that the processes that we've been using at that time, you know, largely cognitive kinds of psychological processes were not only were they not helping these veterans, but they were actually re-traumatizing them. Um, and he began to say, there's got to be a better way. So, and then, you know, different body workers along the way were coming along. And, and so there's a, there's a, there's a whole, um, a zeitgeist really you know <laughs> this energy around how do we heal trauma and and do a better job of it and so peter levine has been developing somatic experiencing for the last 40 years pat ogden um and um ron um hertz with the hakomi method and then um, sensory motorcycle therapy vessel vander vandercook's um Kolk's work um in boston yeah you know, there, there's a bit there's a lot of knowledge that we've developed then we've also got all the brain research that we now understand what happens you know into the nervous system we have a lot to learn still but we have a pretty good understanding and sense so peter levine but basically by watching how animals in the wild you know, go through these, you know, trauma episodes, but come out of them being, you know, uh, you know, in states of relaxed, alert preparedness for the next event. Um, how could we help humans do the same thing? And this is how it developed. So how do, okay, so in some ways, okay, we're, well, we're thinking beings, but we're also linguistic beings. So um, I don't know if, and if this is even appropriate to kind of interject this, but how do I, I feel like a lot of times we have the pain or we have the situation and then the suffering comes from our discourse that we attach to it and we 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 play that discourse over and over well this happened and that happened and this wasn't right and and so um and animals obviously don't have that is there is there a way that you also work with because maybe you can do something with the body but if the person keeps playing the script are they going to is, can that undo the work? Does that make any mm -hmm. sense? Absolutely. So we should probably back up a little bit and, and look at what an animal goes through mm -hmm. and then compare ourselves to that. They'll, they'll help our conversation here. So an animal perceives a threat. And um, so you've got an impala sitting in the wild, the Serengeti right? That's where they are, I think. Right. right. And, <laughs> and a cheetah, you know, starts in, you know, goes that starts going after the herd, um, finds a particular impala that seems either weaker, younger, you know, juicier, I don't know, um, and goes after that one. So the first instinct of any kind of animal and humans included is to fight. And we will begin to first, when we perceive a threat, there'll be a moment of stopping, assessing the situation, oh yeah, this is dangerous, or it's not, but oh yeah, this is dangerous, and then what can I do about it? Is this an animal that I can fight? So if it's two equally sized animals, they'll fight it out. Um, if that can't happen, then the option is to run away. So an impala most likely is going to run away from the cheetah. If the 
uh, cheetah is gaining ground on the Impala, what will happen is just before the cheetah attacks the Impala and, and basically opens its jaw, the Impala will actually go into a free state. It will drop down to the ground as if dead. It's not dead because the cheetah hasn't bitten it or eaten it, but it's in what we call um, tonic immobility, right? And I'll just use the word free state because that's an easier word. So in that state, there's a high level of arousal, there's a high level of energy, but the animal appears from the outside dead. This, all three strategies have one goal in common or one purpose. That is the survival of the animal, the survival right. of the species element, you know, ultimately. So there's no value judgment, whether one fights, whether one runs away, whether one freezes, none of those are within the control of the animal or us as humans. We go through the exact same process. Um, it's all driven by this nervous system and it's all physiologically driven, right? So there's no value judgment. It's all geared towards survival. Right. The interesting thing that happens with um, us as humans is one, we um, oftentimes are not able to complete the fight response. Mm. So we, we try to fight and we get overwhelmed. We try to run away and we get overwhelmed. So for us as humans, this traumatization, being traumatized is really not about the event in and of itself. It's not the event that causes us to be traumatized. It's the fact that our physiological drive to protect ourselves is overwhelmed and we can no longer do so. Mm. That's what ultimately causes trauma. And so in our bodies is this ongoing drive to complete this response. We have this need to successfully, you know, get through to the other side. We need to successfully fight and win. We need to successfully run away and escape not being always able to do that, right? If you're a pedestrian and you've got a car coming at you at 50 miles an hour, um, you're not fighting and you're not fleeing, right? There's, there's no way out of that situation and you will not successfully overcome that situation. But the drive to do so, the drive to be able to push that car away, the drive to be able to suddenly, you know, leap in a single bound and get away is still within us. The body wants to do those things. And we find that if the body can complete those actions, that we get through to the other side, hmm. right? And, and, and so again, it's a physiologically driven process. Now, our rational thinking minds do get in the way of the process, actually. Um, but let me go back one more, the free state. Mm -hmm. The free state is, um, that tonic immobility where we actually freeze and there's all this energy that's there. When an animal survives that, well, let's, let's, there's two options, right? Either the animal will get eaten right, <laughs> right. when that happens, yeah. right? And, and it dies. Mm -hmm. But what's that tonic immobility allows the animal to not feel the pain of its death, mm. not feel pain of being killed. It's the benevolence of however the universe has been created. Mm. And we go through the same thing. People who have um, had this free state and then actually are still live through it will often talk about that experience of seeming like they're watching their body from outside of it mm. and they feel no pain. Mm -hmm. Or a person who's been in a car accident and they're walking around like 
it's no big deal. I'm good. I, I watched a man motorcyclist, you know, down on the ground and he, he was a mess, right? And he's going, I'm fine. I'm good. You know, and it's, he's in shock. He's, he, he's experiencing really the tonic immobility. He hasn't fully come out of it 24 hours later that's when all the pain starts, when the endorphins run, you know, run off of that. So one reason for that free state is so that we don't feel the pain of our death. Another reason for it is um, in the case of the Impala, let's say it, it collapses, the cheetah goes, oh, all right, it's down. Well, I'm not going to bite its neck off. So right now, and it might drag the animal back to its den, go get its cubs and go, here cubs, this is how we do this and teach its cubs. It'll be a learning opportunity for the cubs. In that space of time, the Impala might wake up, right? The cheetah's gone to get his cubs. Impala wakes up, whoa, I'm still alive, I'm good. And it will go through a specific process and then run off and life is good. So what happens when you come out of that free state, all animals go through this, is there's a whole lot of shaking, trembling, sweating, deep breathing, um, tingling, those kinds of body feelings that are happening. Um, the animal will do that. It will take a bunch of real big breaths and then go on its way. Hmm. All right. Um, there's actually a, the natural geographic created a, a video of a polar bear that was being, um, uh, a plane was following this polar bear in order to tranquilize it and then tag it for conservation purposes and examine it and so forth. And you see the polar bear, he's running, 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 boom, the tranquilizer dart hits it. It goes down. The people do what they need to do. Um, they get back into their plane, they fly around, they videotaped this polar bear coming out of that freeze response. And the first thing that they see is this polar bear with his arms and his legs, what looks like flailing about, but if you watch carefully, you see that it's actually running motions. So here this polar bear is lying on its back, legs up in the air, and it's running. So it still thinks it's, it's running. It's completing the oh. action that it didn't get to complete. Hmm. And then after it does that, then the shaking happens, the trembling happens, there'll be these big spontaneous breaths, it rolls over, it gets up, phew, all is good. Wow. It's fine. So as humans, right, we could go through that same experience and then we would just be fine. But we have this neocortex that doesn't oh, allow yeah. us to go through that experience. Right. I wonder how many people, in case you're just tuning in, this is uh, What Would Arwen Do? My guest is Karen Bellman. I'm Tani Tanuviel, and this is KUCI in Irvine, and the views and opinions are those of the ELF host and her guest and do not necessarily represent KUCI, UCI, or the UC Board of Regents. I wonder how many people, I was just recently in an accident, and it, it was my fault. I slammed on the brakes somehow the light was just red and I skidded into the intersection. I thought it was kind of almost safe. I was almost at a stop, but then the other car hit me. I, um, but you know, and we were both okay in a sense, you know, we walked away, but I went into such a state of shock. I was shaking and I jumped out of the car and all I could think of was I had to find my phone and call my friends that were waiting for me at the restaurant because I didn't want them to think that I was just not going to show up. And and the officer, you know, the police came and I've got this lump, you know, developing on my chest. And they're like, are you all right? I'm like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I'm standing there and, I'm, and finally I stopped shaking. And 
needless to say, after a couple of days later, the, actually the swelling went down right on the spot. It was very interesting because I had the swelling, and then it went down right there. No ice or anything; it just went down. But um, two days later, I couldn't even—I could hardly even breathe. My chest and ribs were so bruised, mm-hmm. and it took a month. <laughs> But in looking back, it's like, you know, I just jumped up and I wonder how many people that are like that. I mean, I'm one of those kids, too, that if I fell down and skinned my knee, I'd jump up and say, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I might have blood rushing down my leg. But it's like, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine, because I don't want the attention. I didn't want to. Um, how many of us who respond, and I know a lot of people, they'll like, see them at work, you know, they'll do something. They say, oh, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. How many accumulations of those do we have in our lifetime and at what point do they maybe begin to interrupt Mm -hmm. and we need to think about trying to complete that does that make any sense absolutely so one we have um a propensity um probably a better word would be a learned habit of overriding ourselves Mm -hmm. so that example of i fall down i skim my knee Um, but I'm fine, I'm fine, and get up and try to go on with life as if nothing happened. Usually that's because of shame and embarrassment. Uh, That, the inability to allow ourselves to just sit and give our bodies what they need is our way of overriding ourselves. Mm -hmm. We've learned how to do that over time. Really well. (laughs) Really well. Does that accumulate? Yes. An interesting thing, um, if you take a pigeon and gently come behind it and just wrap your arms, your hands around it, hold that pigeon. That pigeon will go into a state of tonic immobility. You can turn the pigeon upside down. It'll just have its feet up there and it'll just stay there, just quite peacefully, just in that state, right? And then afterwards, it will, you know, in a few minutes, will begin to come out of that state and just flap, you know, flap its wings and fly away. If, however, you take a pigeon and you are chasing it and you try to catch it and you almost get it, but the pigeon gets away and you chase it some more. And this time you, you have it, but then it flaps its wings really hard and, and it gets away again. And you, come, you, know, you have this process of, of almost getting it and then you get the pigeon. When it goes into that state of, of tonic immobility, it takes much longer to come out of it. Mm. And when it does come out of it, it comes out of it much more wildly and Mm. erratically and so we we know that yes when we experience these little traumas and they don't get to be completed and we have lots of those and lots of those that our nervous system becomes increasingly dysregulated Mm -hmm. and it's easier for it to become dysregulated we need smaller and smaller threats to become dysregulated. Mm. So in other words, um, Dan Siegel talks about this window of tolerance. The window of tolerance is our ability to handle the normal rising of the sympathetic nervous system, like arousal. And arousal is, you know, can be with threat, but it also can be through exercise. It could be through um, you know, sexual activity. I mean, there's lots of reasons why the, the heart rate goes up, the breathing goes up, that arousal process, you know, making a speech, being on your radio show. Those are all <laughs> examples of sympathetic nervous system arousal. That's all normal. And when the event is over, we should be able to come down in a parasympathetic relaxed state. Well, what happens is that normal curve is, happens within a, a, a window that can allow us to experience that. And when we have repeated small traumas, that window becomes narrower and narrower. Mm. So that eventually 
events of arousal now go outside that window, even if it's a normal state. And so people who have experienced lots of trauma say, uh, when they are involved in sexual activity, even though it's a pleasurable feeling, that arousal is outside their window of tolerance. Even if they weren't traumatized through um, a sexual trauma, mm. that arousal is outside of their window of tolerance or excitement or play. Anything that leads them can, can cause us to um, have symptoms of, of trauma, even though it's, it's good stuff. That's because that window of tolerance has gotten smaller. And so, yes, it becomes more, we are more easily traumatized when we have lots of these unresolved experiences. And we see that in people's nervous systems that just appear very, very dysregulated. They, they seem to be thrown off their center, so to speak, very easily. And that's because that window of tolerance has gotten scrunched and they no longer have the ability to handle the normal ups and downs of, of life. So just for, in kind of a practical area, again, my, my guest is uh, Karen Bauman, a pain relief therapist. Her website is www.releaseinmotion.com. We're talking about somatic experiencing here on KUCI 88.9 FM. Um, I'm curious about how, so a lot of people, uh, as, as they get older, they and they've been very productive people, very energetic, very optimistic. You know, they're just the, and then all of a sudden they do a crash and burn, and then they're depressed. They're mm -hmm. on antidepressant drugs. They're having a hard time. Um, if it sounds like I'm speaking from a little bit of personal experience, um, they have, and even situations when you you know maybe they start to come out of it, and they'll find. Excitement now is equated, what used to be exciting now is just con considered anxiety. Exactly. And so is this something that could help someone yes, who's... absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Because what you're describing is exactly what I've been talking about, that the window of tolerance has been narrowed and um, the, 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 the nervous system is no longer in its normal regulated state. And so it, we, um, things like, it, I mean, excitement, rapid heart rate, more shallow breathing, um, you know, is the same symptoms or the same, I should say, physiology mm -hmm. as, as threat. Right. Rapid heartbeat, shallow breathing, right? And so we have these sensations and we begin to interpret them in a, you know, based on our trauma history. So, you know, the symptoms of unresolved trauma can span, you know, two different spectrums. One, you have the anxiety, panic, your hostility, rage, your hyper uh, vigilance, your you know intrusive imagery, difficulty sleeping, nightmares, terrors, um, hypersensitivity to light or sound, um, excessive muscle tension, chronic pain that goes with that, sometimes um, spastic colon. Those are one end of the spectrum of, of trauma symptoms. The other end of the spectrum would be your depression, your frequent crying, your decrease of energy, your chronic fatigue, um, muted emotional responses, kind of like this feeling of deadness, feelings of blankness, spaciness, um, forgetfulness, helplessness, losing interest in things, you losing use. interest in life, you know, that you used yeah. to be interested in. Um, and then like on a colon level, poor digestion, constipation, that's the other end of the spectrum. Both can happen. Sometimes people are more dominant on one or the other. Sometimes people go back and forth between the two, right? Depending on the circumstances. Those kinds of symptoms, some of them uh, will be constant. 
Some of them will come and go over time. Some of them will be very hidden and be hidden for a long time and then arise when, um, you know, unexpectedly when something else happens that doesn't seem related. Um, less and less, these kinds of symptoms will seem connected to any original trauma. Mm, really? They, they'll tend to cluster together, mm -hmm. but they will no longer be connected. Matter of fact, sometimes we don't even have memory of our traumas. Hmm. They either happen too young, um, most often that's, that's the case, or we've just kind of forgotten them. They didn't mm -hmm. seem that significant in the moment. So we can, we can lose perspective of it being connected to any trauma. But we do know that if you have this kind of symptomology and consistently, that there is going to be some kind of quote unquote trauma history. And for some people that word trauma is you know, that, that is too pathologized. We don't like that. Right. So another way we just say your nervous system is dysregulated, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't, it, you don't, you don't go through the normal, um, arousal cycle, arousal cycle being where, you know, you, 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 there's this tension, this alertness, this, um, preparedness, readiness for action. Then there's action if necessary. Um, if there is no real threat, then no action is necessary. You just go back into a, you know, relaxed, state of equilibrium that normal cycle or peak um, is not allowed to happen anymore and and so we stay in these states of of often hyper aroused or hypo aroused mm -hmm. um where you're just kind of dead inside so um there's a part of me that thinks okay well you know human beings have been around for a really long time and here we are in 2000 something and so we're just learning about you know, these type of things, especially like say within the last hundred years, the mind body connection and, you know, different types of healing modalities within energy healing and body healing, uh, you know, Feldenkrais yoga, massage therapy, all those kind of wonderful things. The one of the things that I wonder about is how, um, how, how do we, how have we functioned <laughs> for so long? And is it, is it, is it more accelerated now because of we have we live in a world that is has so much stimulation and you know I mean a hundred even years ago there weren't nearly the broken families people you know you know there weren't cars so people weren't moving you know going to a different school every year um, well, does that I, have anything to do with it I, just the age level, we live in I, on one level I think um, trauma has existed for forever right because again. Um, you know, even in our earliest days, if we were going to be eaten by the animal, we were experiencing trauma. And I mean, these are just normal responses. Right. Our ability to get through those responses and to um, allow this pent up energy to complete itself. Is that hampered? Possibly. Um, we have so many things so. to distract us. Right. You know? Well, but see, we, what we've forgotten, what we don't know, and maybe... Maybe the truth is we're actually evolving and we're getting better at this. We just don't realize it mm -hmm. because the, you know, this development of the neocortex causes us to have fear and, and blame. And so we blame ourselves when we go into this freeze response. We feel, feel shame about that. We feel that that's a weakness. In reality, it caused a person or allowed a person to survive. It was a strength. We fear the sensations of shaking and, and trembling and all that kind of stuff. Matter of fact, you know, you go to the hospital 
and you're shaking and trembling, they're going to give you a drug to get you to stop, <laughs> right? Um, and yet it's exactly what we need to um, undo the process. We um, have, if we come out of that tonic immobility, we're going to have experiences of, of rage, actually, and violence. I mean, the, the animal kingdom will, shows that. And we fear those feelings of rage and violence, even though that they are normal, natural aggression. Um, the immobility itself feels like death. And we obviously fear that. And so that development of our neocortex makes it difficult for us to tolerate these experiences. Mm. However, practices like Feldenkrais and yoga, mindfulness, uh, other forms of meditation, all of those are about being with what is without judgment. Mm -hmm. And if we can learn to be with these sensations, without the thinking mind you asked about the mm -hmm. linguistics you know the, the, right. without the dialogue because the dialogue does get coupled and, mm -hmm. it, and it does get linked up but as we begin to uncouple the dialogue from those feelings or the fact that i'm feeling rage therefore i have to hit somebody you know and we can uncouple those uh, experiences right. then we just sit with the sensations as they are and that is the way through to the healing Mm. Now, sometimes like, the trauma is so difficult, these sensations are so intense, we need support. We need right. human relationship um, to be able to allow ourselves to, to, to do that. Um, and it also has to be done in a slow way. We don't have to process the traumatic memory itself. Matter of fact, we've learned that you don't have to even go there at all. And to do so, like all the, the processes of, of that attempted to get people to reenact or retell the story actually was re-traumatizing and actually laid down the neurology to be even further traumatized. Mm. What we've discovered is that if we can just feel the sensations as they are, little by little by little, we begin to integrate them. Um, it's like in the world of chemistry, the, the, the word is titration. If you take chemical A, chemical B, put them together all at the same time, you have a big, massive explosion. But if you take one drop of chemical A with one drop of chemical B, and then you'll have a little fizzling, and then it settles, then you add another drop of A and another drop of B, there's a little fizzling, and it settles. And if you do that over time, eventually you will have both chemicals completely added together, no massive chaotic explosion, but you, what you actually end up is a new chemical. You have a transformation into something new. Mm. And so to me, the most important thing to understand about trauma and the process of healing is that as we do this in a very titrated way with support, we actually can, it's, it's a process of, of rebirthing. It's a process of transformation. It's a very, like I said at the beginning, it's a very spiritual process. Um, and and that's, that's the hopeful message right. that within trauma, it's, because sometimes just, you just feel stuck in something. You you go exactly. through in life, and it's like, am I ever going to get over this? Why, you know? And and especially it's, the older you get, right. the more it's there, right. and it's just like it's just bound up energy. Yeah, and you know, and neuromuscular patterns that have developed. I mean, those of us who work within, say, like the Feldenkrais world, we understand that um, our physiology influences our choices. And so we, we develop habits of moving and being that are limited by our, our histories and then dictate how, what options we have available to us. And so then we don't see that, you know, given any kind of event, we only see the one or two options that we've always done habitually. Right. And if we can change our physiology, if we change our body, we all of a sudden, a world of options opens up to us that we just never realized existed. And we, we don't even realize that we didn't, you know, I was like, oh, I didn't know I had that choice. 
and it just it's there and so you know that's the good news about this process that you know we are learning actually how to do this but it's becoming more simplified it's actually going back from this you know the neocortex linguistic processing that people have used to do back down to just the body trauma is just and not having to relive all that no, stuff no we don't have to relive it all and letting it but letting it complete yes. so that you're not bound up in it still and when it's and when it's complete you are free of it so, uh, my gosh, the time goes so fast. We didn't even. It does. <laughs> and um, my guest, this is uh, Tani Tunuviel. You are listening to What Would Arwen Do on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My guest today, Karen Bauman, the founder and owner of Release in Motion. You can contact her at K-A-R-E-N, Karen, at releaseinmotion.com to find out more about the work that she does as a pain relief therapist. Who are the, um, just in the last few minutes we have, who are, I mean, some people may think, oh, well, you know, that's just for people who, you know, coming back from war or they've been through 9-11. But it's, I've not been through any of those things and I'm feeling like, hmm, I could probably use some of these because I know that I have physiological reactions sometimes to things and I think, why am I feeling so much tension in this situation and it doesn't seem like something that I should feel that way or the idea of going somewhere uh, for something and where I, and I would think, like this happened the other day, there was a situation and I thought, you know, it used to be I would go to this and it, I would be all excited and I would be thinking it was fun, but today I'm thinking about it and it just feels like anxiety. And I thought, but I think it's the same physical symptoms. Why am I attaching anxiety to it? Whereas before I would have attached, oh, fun and excitement. So um, so what kind of people? <laughs> Me, you, what, every, every person on the street? My mentor, um, who's Lori Parker, and she has um, her uh, website is Integration for All. She... Um, Went, made mention one time when she first started doing this work and started learning about it everywhere she looked everybody had trauma everybody was traumatized they were all traumatized and then she realized well maybe that's a little extreme that really everywhere she looks people have dysregulated nervous systems and part of what you're describing is that dysregulation mm -hmm. and we haven't learned how to regulate ourselves when we feel dysregulation what happens, we have a tendency to have this domino effect and, and, it, and it goes along, you know, we feel dysregulated and then there are certain thoughts or certain behaviors or certain feelings, you know, all those things that just happens down the line. When we become more aware and once we have tools, we can be able to be with that experience and sit with that experience. And sometimes if we just sit with it, feel it, it just passes through us. So you actually can teach people how to use these tools for themselves Absolutely. through the course of their lives. It's not like, you know, Absolutely. chiropractic where it's like, you know, you keep doing things to get your spine out and you have to keep going to the chiropractor forever. But, you know, there's an initial thing, but you actually can teach people how to use these tools themselves mm -hmm. as they recognize things. Right. That's probably one of the most exciting elements of it is as we um, do these kinds of exercises you know, with a practitioner, we, not only do we change, not only does our nervous system change, not only do we learn that what goes up comes down, not only do we learn <laughs> that we're safe or what goes down comes up, we also develop, um, you know, in that we develop the skills, we develop capacities, we develop tools to be able to handle the normal ups and downs of life. I mean, trauma is a part of life. 
Right. Right. That's just, that's just the way of it. And we can become much more effective at handling our little tiny traumas as well as the really big traumas um, <laughs> that come our way. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Karen. I can't believe our time is up. I wish we had a whole nother hour. Um, this has been fascinating. If you'd like to contact Karen, K-A-R-E-N, at releaseinmotion.com. Uh, somatic experiencing, she is a pain relief therapist, I would say specialist, mm -hmm. but yeah. <laughs> and you know, just to give also the other website, if they are not local and they want uh, to get a hold of a practitioner who is familiar with this kind of work, they can go to traumahealing.com. Mm. Okay, great. And you have a phone number as well? My number is 949-548-548. 4900. Well, thank you so much. Thank you and very this much. Has it's been, exciting to share this. Yeah, I'm excited that you could share it. I will have to wait and see what happens. If you call Karen, uh, let her know that you heard her on KUCI. So I am Tani Tenuviel, and uh, yeah, Middle Earth magic we've had here today. Uh, you know, the elves love this stuff. <laughs> It's all about getting better and healing and being having a wonderful and uh, enriching life and, and being aliveness. up. Yes, yeah. full aliveness so we can be ready for those adventures when they show up. So uh, I will be back next week. My very special guests will be Larry Selzman, a local musician, percussionist, and just an amazing musician guy. He's going to be over at the Center for Living Peace in a couple of weeks and he's going to be here for a couple of hours sharing his music and we'll be talking about Middle Earth and music and all kinds of wonderful things. So I hope you will come back. I am Tani Tenuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth Elf. This show will be up on podcast soon, so if you have friends you think might benefit from this information, please refer them to our website, www.kuci.org. Go to our homepage, look for archives, go down to podcasts, and look for What Would Arwen Do? You can also find us through iTunes. So coming up at 5 o'clock, we will not have Blue and Gold Report today. We'll have a special kind of a... Uh, review podcast of one of our other great public affairs programming so I hope you'll stay with us for that hour and with that I'm going to leave you with because this is what would Arwen do a little bit of Middle Earth music and a little bit of music concerning hobbits this is KUCI in Irvine the best radio station in the history of Middle Earth mm -hmm.